Thank you for tuning in. This is Pastor George here at Tuolumne Community Baptist Church. What a beautiful sunny day we have today. Isn't that just wonderful to see the spring weather finally coming in? Today is Palm Sunday. This is the day of the triumphal entry of Jesus. This is the start of, uh, some call it the Jesus week. It's, it's a sad time to me because I understand the story and I, I'm going to do my very best to try to explain it. But, you know, people were acting like they were all sold out. Man, we believe in Jesus. He's our man. But really, they were wanting him to conquer the Roman Empire. They weren't looking at him as the sacrificial lamb that God had called him to be. So I'm going to talk about this story. There's so much here. I realize I, I sometimes put more scripture in here than I can, than you, your brain could probably handle. And I'm, I, I'm not going to say I'm sorry for that because scripture is good. But uh, sometimes I think I feel like I give you too much at one time. Uh, but it's so important that we see and we understand, and we see how God's hand is in this preparing. Jesus, his truly only begotten son, to be the sacrificial lamb of the world. It's an amazing story. So hold on, and we're going to get started here in just a minute. Lord Jesus, I just ask you to prepare our hearts for what we're about to hear today. Father, this is a great day. This is the day that you rode in on a donkey. People were crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna. But I think they were so misunderstood. Open our hearts today, Lord, to see truly what this day meant in history. And Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word as we're about to get into it today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, here we are at the triumphal entry. It's Palm Sunday. And you know, I didn't arrange this. I started on the book of John 12 weeks ago, and I had no idea that it was gonna land on Palm Sunday today. I believe that was God's plan. This was to be the height of Jesus's ministry. Isn't it interesting how many people were believing in him at least for the moment? Hmm. And the Pharisees, they were more determined than ever to put an end to this, to kill him and to kill Lazarus too. You're gonna to see that in scripture today. The Pharisees, I can honestly say, I understand their motive. Now please understand, I'm not saying I agree with them, but I understand where they're coming from. He was ruining their mad man-made religious attempts towards righteousness. Everything Jesus was doing became a threat to their very existence as religious leaders, as a religious sect in their time. I get it. 
I can understand why they hated him and why they even wanted to put him to death. But the people, the people, even in today's world, we could have some amazing miracles, and they do, right here in this church. We could see a lame man walking, a blind man seeing, even a dead man raised from the dead. And oh, wouldn't the news travel? Oh man, wouldn't it just travel? We would fill this place up with people wanting a miracle for themselves or people just wanting to see the show. Then what would happen to all these people who are in it for the entertainment? What would happen when church persecution really creeps up in our country and people, it's coming? People that don't have a personal relationship with Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit within them, they will turn on the church as quickly as they did on Jesus. You better say amen because it's the truth. It's the truth. They will turn on the church just like they did turn on Jesus. This is why Jesus had to die and raise from the grave so that he could ascend to the Father and send the Holy Spirit to reside with us. We cannot finish this life well without the Holy Spirit. We cannot. This is a very serious message today, and it's really gripped me. And you probably hear that in my emotion. I can't help it. Can you even fathom how Jesus must have been feeling? Riding in on a donkey, they're throwing palm leaves down so the dust would stay down. They're singing out, Hosanna, Hosanna, and they're praising him. And yet all along he knew that he'd be dead in a week. He knew that he was the sacrificial lamb. He knew that these people didn't realize what they were even doing. I, I, I can't fathom the emotional pain that our Lord had to be going through. But he was, and he did, for you and me. But let's lighten it up a bit. Are you ready for a pop quiz? Okay. This one you should get. Pop quiz number one. It says... So when Jesus came, he found that he, Lazarus, was already been dead in the tomb for how many days? Four. Four days. Praise. You guys got an A. Let's see if you can handle this one. Number two. John eleven twenty six. Jesus said, And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this is what Jesus said? And that's probably the ultimate question that Jesus ever had to ask. Do you believe this? Do you really? Because if we don't, we've got to get it in our hearts and we've got to figure it out. So John 12, and I've I got to tell you, I did not mean this sermon series to be an exegesis or a harmonical study of the Gospel of John. I, didn't, I, I thought 
that I was going to pick out the main topic of each chapter and preach on that topic. But for some reason, the Holy Spirit has me going through verse by verse. I didn't intend to, but there's so much in here. John has literally opened me up, and I hope that he gives me the ability to help to open you up. So let's jump right in. John 12, 1 and 2. Then six days before the Passover. I want you to really remember that first sentence. Six days before the Passover. You have to remember that. Just kind of put it back in your memory banks. Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. Now, following John's timeline, it's been approximately two months since Lazarus was raised from the dead. Verse 2, there they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Well, there you go again, Martha serving again. But please understand, serving is not a bad thing. See, we remember the story in Luke where Martha uh, asked Jesus, hey, tell Mary to get up and help me. And Jesus replied to her with, Mary has chosen the good thing by sitting at Jesus' feet. But please understand, Jesus wasn't saying serving was bad. He was saying Martha was distracted and worried and troubled about many things. Serving is a big part of our Christian experience. Let me say it again. Serving is not bad. It is not bad. It's what we do. And Jesus was trying to show us that she was troubled and had so many things on her mind. He was saying, relax, Martha. When we serve others, we must do it with a servant's heart. Would you like me to tell you what that is? A good attitude. Don't be grumpy about your serving. If you're grumpy about your serving, don't serve. Serve with a good attitude. Jesus is going to demonstrate for us next week in chapter 13. The ultimate in his ability to serve. And he explains it to us that this is how we're to serve one another. So let's look at John 12, 3. Then Mary took a pound a very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus and wrapped his feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray Jesus, he said in verse 5, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? I know what you're thinking. There goes Judas again. But I'm going to go show you in Scripture today. He wasn't the only one. This is really common even in the church today. Wait a minute. The church could have used that. Why did they give it to those, those homeless people? Why did they? Why? Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. You gave a car away? Why would you do that? We could have sold that and put it in the church treasury, Judas. You know, I, honestly, reading through this scripture, you're, you're going to see, I think, think, I think John didn't like Judas too much. You'll see it by his attitude and some of what he wrote. 
But Judas wasn't alone in this thinking. People were more interested in the worth of Mary's sacrifice than they were in the significance of her expression of worship. It was an incredible expression of worship, and there was a reason for it, and a God-anointed reason. But so many times we read through this, and we don't even see it. We miss it. So how costly was this Barknard Mary used to anoint Jesus' feet? One denarius was a wage of one day's labor. So if Judas's estimate of value of Mary's spikenard is correct, well, think about it. Minimum wage today is $15 an hour. That's what the government says. Eight hours a day, that's what, $120 a day? And you take that by... How many days in a year that you could work? We're talking tens of thousands of dollars. This was very costly oil. Very costly. I know that you're familiar with Jesus being anointed with oil, reading through the Gospels. You, quick, you, you quickly see there's more than one account of this happening. Reading the accounts in the different books could easily lead you to think that they refer to the same instance. But a closer inspection, I want to show you that there are, in fact, three different times recorded which this very same thing happened. But in order to understand the significance of these anointings, you must understand the culture and the time in which Jesus lived. You have to remember, they were still living under Mosaic law. Jesus hadn't died yet. The New Testament hasn't started yet. They were living under Mosaic law, the Old Testament. The sacrifice of lambs was still happening. So let's talk about choosing the Passover lamb. This is so important that you get this. It'll bring this whole chapter together. Passover lambs were chose six days in advance. So how many days was it prior to Passover that Jesus was getting his feet anointed? Do you remember? Six days. The disciples didn't, they weren't even thinking about this. The Passover lamb is anointed the second time on their head to announce that they are free from disease and blemish. They actually took these lambs into their house. I could just see the kids playing with it and protecting it. Because, see, they lived in a very rocky, hilly country. And you couldn't even have a scratch on the ankle. You wanted to make sure that this was a perfect, perfect lamb to sacrifice, to forgive your sins for that entire year. This was a big deal. So they brought it in six days early. To They would anoint the legs with oil so they could really inspect the legs to see that there was no blemishes, there was no marks, there wasn't anything wrong. And then for the next five days, they would be watching it and feeding it and grooming it and honestly loving on it. The whole family. And then on the sixth day, they would anoint the head and announce that it was free of disease and blemish. And this was in contrast to the first time, which was their feet, which was six days prior. The first Passover lamb anointing 
was on the feet six days prior to Passover. The second anointing was on its head two days before Passover. Lambs were sacrificed on Passover. Now let me show you Mark's story on this lamb. I want you to look at Mark 14.1. Pay attention to the very first sentence. After two days, it was a Passover. How many? Two days. Two days. And the feast of the unleavened bread. And the chief priests and the scribes sought that they should make him a trickery and put him to death. They're talking about Jesus. Look at verse 2. But they said during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. Not during the feast. They didn't want him to be crucified on the Passover. They thought everybody would be an uproar. God had a plan. He had a plan of what was happening. Verse 3, it says, And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leopard, as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of sparknard. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. This is happening two days before Passover. This wasn't a, a, a ceremony because these guys, they didn't think Jesus was going to die. They thought he was going to rise up and overthrow the Roman Empire. God was anointing this. God was perpetrating this. He was behind each and every act, everything that was happening. He was there. So she broke the flask and poured it on his head. Mark 14, 4, it says, But there were some who were indignant, indignant among themselves and said, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. Notice it says they. It was more than just Judas. There was more of them who felt the same way because they did not understand what was happening. Please see the significance. God the Father is orchestrating the whole thing by the rules that he gave Moses some 1,500 years before. He's orchestrating the whole thing out. The disciples were obviously too close to see. Right in front of them, God was preparing their sacrificial lamb, and they couldn't see. Now, I don't know about you, but we all have feelings. And Jesus knew that they couldn't see. Uh, even though he is God and he knows what he has to do, he was a human being that had feelings just like you and me. How do you think this felt? It, it's hard to even think of words to say, but he was such a gracious host. The third instance of Jesus being anointing with this costly oil is found in Luke, and it's totally different. This is way earlier in Jesus' ministry. Let me read it to you That's just so you have it. It says in Luke 7.36, it says, Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and Jesus, being who he is, he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. 37, it says, And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, 
when she knew that Jesus sat at the table at the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, and she stood at his feet behind him weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears. This woman was broken and wiped them with her hair of her head, and she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. Now let me explain this a little bit. This is the Pharisee's house. Pharisees, you know, they, they were, uh, you know, the upper class. They had money. They would have servants that would, when you entered the house, you would, first thing that would happen is you come in and they'd wash your feet. And they actually you would use this fragrant oil and drop a couple drops in the water so the water would smell nice when they washed their guests' feet. I'm sure that this woman here, that was her job. She's just a sinner, probably a prostitute. Let's get her, let her wash people's feet. She won't mind. And she took the fragrant oil and she didn't, it didn't say here she broke it. She just, she took a little bit of it and anointed Jesus' feet with it. How precious is that? There's one more time that it's talking about in Matthew, the very same story, which is the same story as the one Mark just gave us. But are you seeing clear here the anointing of God on Jesus of how it was happening? He was, he was preparing the way for what was about to happen. And Jesus knew exactly and precisely what was going on, but they didn't. So let's get back to John 12. Verse 6, and you got to remember, this was Judas talking again about that flask. This he said, not that he cared about the poor because... Listen to what John says here. Because he was a thief. He just come out here and just spit it out of his mouth. He was a thief. John had feelings. And had the money box and he used to take what was in it. But Jesus, he loved him anyway. Verse 7. Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. Now understand, in this anointing, she didn't break the flask like the one two days prior. She just used some of it to anoint his feet. She's probably saving the rest of this very expensive. This was probably her dowry. What was passed down in the family to give to her. When she gets married, this fragrant oil would be used in her wedding day. This was something that was priceless. So she used some of it on Jesus' feet here, and she was saving the rest for his burial because God obviously had put her in, in her heart what was happening. Verse 8, it says, For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. Jesus knows and understands clearly what is happening, preparing himself for what was to come. Verse 9, it says, Now the great many of the Jews knew that he was there, and they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but they came that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also. So they, they weren't just going for, for Jesus. They were going to kill Lazarus too, this one that he brought back from the dead. You see, there was no denying. He was gone for four days, which was totally against all of their rules. This was about to show. Come on, Lazarus, do a little song and dance for us, the man who was raised from the dead. 
And please see and please understanding, I'm not saying that some didn't truly believe in Jesus because the Bible tells us clearly some did. And they were believing because Lazarus was raised from the dead. But it clearly says that they did. But remember, Jesus hadn't died yet. The Holy Spirit hasn't come yet. Their faith, these people, their faith was just in an infant state. It was very weak. Let's look at verse 12. The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. This is the triumphal entry. They took branches of, of palm trees and they went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Well, to understand what they're really saying, you've got to understand what Hosanna means. Hosanna, according to Wikipedia, Wikipedia, you know, they always tell the truth. According to Wikipedia, Hosanna essentially means, please save us now. It is a call for deliverance. It was frequently used in festivals that quoted from Psalms 118.25, Save us now. Hosanna also appears to have multiple meanings. Save me, Lord. It is a cry for salvation and also a cry for thanks. Two polar opposites coming together. Cries for help and cries for prayers. Praise. It's typically spoken in, in a rejoicing fashion. People who shouted it often intended to say, at last, salvation has come to us. After a long wait, it's finally here. The word comes from two roots, Yasha and Anna. Yasha stands for delivers, and Anna stands for please. In essence, the word boils down to, please save us, deliver us. The Israelites wanted salvation from Rome. They weren't looking for salvation of their souls. The Passover lamb's going to take care of that and get rid of all of our sins. They wanted freedom from Rome. Even though the Babylonians took them captive, when the Babylonians fell, the Persian Empire and the, let the Israels return back to their home to Jerusalem and rebuilt their city. They wanted to see the same thing happen with Rome. To have a conqueror who drives them out. But we know that Jesus came to defeat an enemy. But not quite the one they had in mind. He knew the ultimate enemy was sin enslaving far more than the Roman occupation in Israel. Rome would fall a few centuries later, but Jesus need to needed to face the ultimate enemy, which is sin. John 12, 14 and 15. Then Jesus, when he found a young donkey, sat on it as it was written, Fear not, daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. I don't know why John decided not to tell the whole story that Mark did, but I'm going to take you there. 
Let me show you Mark's rendition of this very same thing. Just a quick question. Is my mic still working? Did I, did I lose battery? Oh, well. Okay. You get in here, I'll keep, I'll keep it up. I thought it sounded different in my ears. So Mark 11, verse 1. Now, when they drew near Jerusalem to Bethany and Bethany at Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples. Just think about this. This is incredible. Verse 2, he said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you have entered it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loosen it and bring it. Do you realize the value of a donkey colt in this culture? It'd be like someone jumping into my used Ford F-150 and trying to drive it off. Like, where are you going with that? But God had a plan. Jesus had already told him, tell him the Lord has need of it. He says in verse 3, he says, And if anyone says to you, why, what, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it here. So they went their way, and they found the colt outside in the street, and they loosed it. And sure enough, he led ahead and let him take it. What a miracle. What an awesome thing. Let's get back to John. John 12, 16. His disciples did not understand these didn't understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, then they remembered that all these things were written about him and that they what they had done these things to him. Understand when the Bible says Jesus was glorified, it means crucified. You know, we tend to think that Jesus is glorified. He's our mighty God, and we're going to raise him up and put him on a pedestal. No. He was talking about being crucified. They didn't get it. They were missing it. But Jesus had been telling them this all along. Look at verse 20. Now, there was certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn, Andrew and Philip, they went to tell Jesus. It's kind of an interesting thing to be in the Bible, but it's, it's there. Why did they go to Philip? Well, it's been said that he might have known them. They may have been some of his neighbors formerly because Philip's parents, though Jews, dwelt among the Greeks. Dwelt among the Greeks. And Philip is a Greek name. So they had this thought that possibly he knew, and that's why these Greeks went to Philip. The Greeks were Syrophoenicians who went upon the borders of Tri and Sidon. They were not far off from Galilee and from Bethsaida, the native place of Philip. That's why we believe that he knew these people. 
So Jesus answered in saying this. Now, it doesn't tell us clearly, but I believe that Jesus is talking to Andrew and Philip and these Greeks. I, I just believe that's who he's talking to. And Jesus answered, the hour has come, verse 23 and 24, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. What do you think they were thinking? The hour has come when your Savior should be glorified. They weren't getting it. They weren't getting it. Oh, but they did. Told us that earlier, after Jesus would be glorified, they would see and understand. But right now, they did not. Most assuredly, I say to you, verse 24 I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Do you guys get that? Tyler, do you understand that? Let's, take, let's say that you're the seed. You have to die to self. You have to walk away and drop everything from your old past. And that seed dies. But it comes up and it brings out much grain, much fruit. You think that people don't know or they don't understand why you've turned to Christianity. They think, well, maybe because Tyler's weak. No. He's a seed. And in order for that seed to multiply, it has to die to self. It has to die. And when it rises, and Jesus was trying to explain this so clearly, he was saying, I have to die. But they couldn't hear it. It says in verse 25, he who lives, loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Remember, people. Spiritual thinking. You got to have spiritual thinking to understand that scripture. He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. I don't hate my life in this world. Oh, shock. Did pastor just talk against the word of God? No. Where do I have value? I just got to see my 20-year-old granddaughter celebrating her birthday. She was home from college where she's in a ministry program. And she, was, and, and she got emailed that she had to have this, this, this paper done and, and turned in today online. And I'm out in the trailer. Joe and I are out in the trailer. We're knocking the door. And she says, Grandpa, we need you. All right. Bring your Bible. And I thought, all right. So I bring my Bible. I go, and I said, what are you working on? She goes, well, I got I to gotta write this sermon about Paul and Rome and, and a road. Ha! <laughs> You're talking about the Roman road to salvation. Yes, we can do this. She goes, you know what they're talking about? I said, I know exactly what they're talking about. And it's through, all through the book of Romans. The Roman road to salvation. He shows us that way to salvation. Scripture after scripture we showed. And, and the other daughter was, was building the PowerPoints so she could turn. And she had to go in her bedroom and actually preach this on her phone and send it to the professor. Don't tell me that I hate my life. 
I love what God is doing in this life, but my priorities are in heaven. That's my priorities. Not this life here on earth. It's eternal life in heaven. Jesus wasn't saying that you got to, man, you got to hate your life. Everything about it. No. What's more important? This life or eternal life? Man, you can't put a price on eternal life. You just can't. Verse 26, Jesus is still talking here. He says, if anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him, my father will honor. Praise God that we have honor from God in heaven. Amen. Amen. John 12, 27. Now, I really, I know I get excited here, but I want you to get back to feeling what Jesus was feeling at this time. Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? I would have. He was facing the most torturous death in human history. He said, what shall I say? But he goes on to say, but for this purpose I came for this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice from heaven saying, I have heard, glorified it. No, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. God spoke from heaven and it wasn't just Jesus who heard it. Verse 12, 29, it says, Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said, they said that it thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus said in verse 30, he said, this voice did not come because of me, but of you. I'm trying to show you guys, just believe. The voice came for you. And even then, they couldn't, they couldn't buy it. They couldn't get a handle on it. And I can only feel, at that point, Jesus had to feel more alone in a world that was just completely engulfed around him. He had to feel completely alone. These people don't understand. They don't understand what's happening. And then verse 31, it says, Now the judgment of this world... Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. He's talking about Satan. He's talking about going to hell and stealing the keys to death from Satan. Do you realize he has no hold on you anymore? He can't even kill you. Because we have eternal life. Oh, this old body. You know, I was talking to Marvin yesterday. We were talking and we were... I was consoling him and his loss of his precious sister. And, and I said, you know, Marvin, none of us ever know when our day will be, do we? And he goes, no. He says, yeah, something out of my past could creep up and just grab me. <laughs> I said, you know, I got plenty of those in my past too. You know, I smoked for near 30 years. What if all of a sudden I got lung cancer? Is that God's fault? No, 
It's because I live in a lost and dying world and I did stupid stuff when I was young. I have eternal life. You take this body, put it in the urn, put it in the ground, whatever you want to do with it. I've got eternity. We have eternity. And death does not have any power over us, even if we lived a horrible life in our past. Verse 32, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw peoples to myself. Do you understand what he's meaning by lifted up? To be put on that cross in front of everyone, naked, abused, beaten, bloody. If I am lifted up, it will bring everybody unto myself. That was the only thing that he was holding on to. That's all he could hold on to was your face and my face. All of us, he's doing it for us. This he signified by what death he would die. And they were thinking that they were going to put him up on his shoulders and carry him around. He was trying to tell them. Jesus completely understands what is happening. But even though he knows, the prophet Isaiah said they would not believe. Can you imagine how he must have felt? I don't think we can. I believe it's out of our realm of understanding the emotional pain only God could know. Verse 34. The people answered him and said, We have heard from the law that Christ remains forever. How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Well, some of them obviously understood. How can you say that uh, the Son of Man has got to be crucified? If that's what you're saying, Jesus, what do you mean? And then they said, Who is this Son of Man? And Jesus, I could just, I could, I could feel him. He said, a little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while you have light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. Verse 36, while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. I, I can only imagine that in the humanity of Jesus, he was saying, I, I, I've had enough of you guys. I, I got to get off. I, I, I got to pray. I got to be alone with God. I, he had to get off and be alone. Verse 37 Although he had done many signs before them, they didn't believe him. All the stuff that was happening, the raising of Lazarus, it was just a show. They don't believe him. John 12, 38 says, Then the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke. The Lord who has Believed our report. Lord, let me say that correctly. Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom 
Has the arm of the Lord been revealed to these people? Verse 39, therefore, they could not believe because Isaiah, Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and has hardened their hearts. Least they should see with their eyes. Least they should understand with their hearts and turn so that they, so that I should heal them. Wow. That's a head spinner, huh? Imagine these words of Isaiah. They've been repeated five times in the New Testament. Matthew 13, Mark 14, Luke 8, John 12, and Acts 28. What do they mean? These things, verse 41, Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke him, spoke of him. Isaiah had seen a vision of Jesus in his glory, and he spoke those words. Verse 42, nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him. Least they should be put out of the synagogue. Well, pastor, that doesn't have anything to do with today. Oh, really? What if our country were so to adopt one religion? And if it didn't line up with ours, they say, you have to abide by it. Or you'll be cut off. This reference in Isaiah 6.10, which John phrases in this present tense, indicating it's being fulfilled. God is blinding and hardening the people so that they will not accept the truth. If taken, if we take the entirety of this context, we would see that would be seem to be spiteful and unfair. How can God blame the people for disbelief when he is purposefully blocking them from it? And the answer is in this context. We just read it. God spoke from heaven. He spoke, his voice spoke from heaven so that the people would know that he is God. And this is my son. And they didn't believe. They, they, they said it was thunder. They, they said it was an angel talking. They heard the little literal words of God, and the crowds dismissed it. Religious experts of their day attacked Jesus, even though their own studies of the Torah, the word of God, ought to have led them to the truth. But they wouldn't see the truth. They wouldn't hear the truth. People who have completely turned their hearts and lives away from God, I'm sorry, there's, this, there's nothing we can say. When they are turned hard, God helps them hard their heart because they have totally rejected who he is. In the same way, many people ignore clear evidence of God and his nature because they just do not want to believe. No miracle no evidence would ever change anything of how they believe. Look at Luke 16, 31. It says, but he said to them, 
If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded through one raising from the dead. If you don't believe in the word of God, you're not going to believe any of this. This means God can and does use hardening and blinding as a form of judgment. After a person has already committed themselves to rejecting him. In Exodus, God speaks of how he will harden the heart of that Egyptian king to prolong the prolegs, the, the plagues, demonstrating God's glory. Eventually, God does just that. But God doesn't influence Pharaoh until he has repeatedly and frequently hardened his own heart. And that's where we have to be so careful that we don't harden our hearts because it happens so subtly and so easily. John cites the scripture as proof that those who stubbornly disbelieve in God have only themselves to blame. At this point, even their inability to accept God is a consequence of their own rebellion. But don't, don't give up yet. Because pretty soon, Jesus is going to be crucified, hung on a cross, and he's going to rise from the dead. And 50 days from them, in the book of Acts, you can read the greatest revival on earth. When the Holy Spirit fills these men, and they begin to prophesy and say things that only God could know, speaking in languages of people who, they didn't know those languages. And what a great revival. The first day, 3,000 got saved. I'll bet you it was a lot of these people right here. Because they finally saw, wow, this is all true. We are looking in John's writing so that we can understand the world we live in today. Really, not much has changed. Men are looking for righteousness that they can obtain by their own good works. It happens all the time in probably most churches. It's sad. They, they put value to by the good things that they do instead of what Jesus Christ has done. In our government, has become Christianity has become a secondary value. And yet we say God would never allow persecution to come against the church in America. Oh, I say, church, wake up. We need Jesus more than ever. We need the power and the manifestation of the Holy Spirit more than ever. Last scripture, and I'll let you go. Luke 18.8. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes... Will he really find faith on the earth? These were Jesus' words. He said, when I come for my church, will I find faith in the earth? Will he? Yes, he will. If I'm here, he will. And if you're here with me, you will have faith. 
no matter what the government tries to do, no matter what goes on in this world, yes, yes, he will find. Maybe it'll just be a few, maybe it'll be a multitude, but we're praying that it's the multitudes of hundreds of thousands of people who are accepting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I know this was a lot to take in, but God was performing an incredible service for us by anointing his sacrificial lamb right in front of everybody and nobody saw what was going on. Nobody really knew, but he was preparing him. Started by washing his ankles, anointing them with oil and finished by pouring that fragrant oil on his head, signifying that he was ready. He was perfect. He was without blemish. He was the absolute sacrificial lamb. Tony, could you please come? I, I know that I, I put a lot of emotion in this, and I have to because of what he has done for us. What he has done, it, it's, it's beyond, I, I can't even comprehend it. We should go back and watch the Passion of the Christ again because it just makes me sick when I see how they treat my Savior and they put him on that cross. And he did it for me. And he did it for you. And we have to have this so soundly built into our nature of who we are as Christians. Knowing the complete and the pure sacrifice Heavenly Father, I pray that we understand this message. So many of these people who were walking with the living God, they didn't get it. They didn't understand. But Father, we are blessed with this word that we can understand. Break our hard hearts. Break them down. Allow us to feel the pain. Allow us to feel the suffering. Allow us to suffer and turn away from the things in our lives. Ah, oh, Jesus. Help us, Lord, to understand the meaning of this week. us to understand the Passover. Strengthen us, Father. Strengthen us. Give us strength. Holy Spirit, rise up within us and give us the ability to speak forth your word. Father, I thank you for all that you're doing in this place. In Jesus' name.